I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Best of Life Today Live 2022 edition. And on February 24th of this year, Russia invaded Ukraine. On March 14th, I talked to Don Preston. Uh, we talked for an hour, so fair warning. This is a long one, but man, it's interesting, and it's really good. He is the author of The Last Days Identified, and the question at hand was, do the current events that are still ongoing in Ukraine, uh, is that related to prophecy, or is it not? Uh, so this is a deep one. This is a fun one. Uh, and whether you agree or disagree, I think you will find it interesting. This is Don K. Preston. I want to get to this idea that I've heard with Russia and Ukraine, uh, even references to Gog and Magog, which originally was Gog from Magog. Um, I'm just curious what, what you think, because I know you're hearing the same, you know, prophecy statements that I'm hearing from a lot yes. of Christian leaders. What, what's your take on that? Well, first of all, let me state, and I know you feel the same way. Uh, I know that the people who are so um, wrapped up in that are sincere people who love the Lord. It's true. I, I really believe, however, that they have been deceived. That's not because of any ill will. It's just simply what we're taught sometimes. We don't stop and think and investigate uh, about it critically. The very first thing that I would like to point out is that Gog and Magog, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, would take place in Israel's last days. Mm -hmm. And I would point out, and you know, Randy, I, I wrote a book some years ago entitled The Last Days Identified. Mm -hmm. uh, consistently down through the years, it has been one of the best selling of my titles. I've written over 33 books now. But this particular book has been one of the best-selling titles because, to, to state this simply, if we're not in the last days, Gog and Magog is over. Yeah. Period. End of story. And so when we properly understand the context, the framework for the last days as Israel's last covenant age, or I would express it, the last generation of Israel's covenant history, uh, which ended in AD 70, by the way, then all of a sudden our eschatology has to be rethought. Yeah. And it, it is sometimes revolutionary. It sure shook, <laughs> positively shook my world when I really began to investigate it and to see and to understand uh, these concepts. But at the same time, I, I look at the world in a totally different way now. Yeah. I don't have a fear of the man of sin, Antichrist. I don't have a fear of the abomination of desolation. I'm not fearing the great tribulation with you know three-fifths of the world's population being wiped out. Mm -hmm. I don't fear any of that. And so what I do have is a profound trust in the one who holds the future. And, and I'm not trying to be naive and under any circumstances. What's happening in our world today with Russia's invasion is serious stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, we cannot be naive about that. 
what I'm fearful of, Randy, is that we have an awful lot of politicians in positions of authority who believe that Russia is an end-time player, who believe that China is an end-time player, and that they may set about consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously, of trying to bring about self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. That's dangerous stuff. And so I think we have to be very, very cognizant of what the Bible actually says. And the Bible does not teach that we are in the last days. You know, Peter stood up on Pentecost 2,000 years ago after speaking in tongues and the audience accused them of being drunk. And Peter said, men and brethren, hear these words. These are not drunk, seeing that you are seeing it's about the third hour of the day. This is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. Right. He didn't say this is something like it will finally be day, you know, by and by. He said, this is it, folks. Mm -hmm. And Joel said, the spirit will be poured out in the last days. The spirit was being poured out there in the last days. I don't know how much clearer that can be. <laughs> and, you know, that's one of the passages that, that got my attention when I started reading some of this stuff. And I had no idea that people like you even existed who were <laughs> well-versed in this view. I didn't know this alternate view existed because I grew up in Southern Baptist Church, and I wished we'd all been ready, and I'm, I'm terrified. Uh, I didn't think I'd live to see 30 when I was a teenager, right? <laughs> no, that's the truth. Um, and and it's it's interesting when you talk to people about this because I mean I get comments like you know this is this is heretical you know this is you just you could call every name in the book and I'm going but I'm, I'm this comes from looking at scripture I think well first of all I do want to mention this is the book the last days identified by Don K Preston and you can get it at his website uh, donkpreston.com you can get it some other places too and if you're interested in this topic. Uh, I would say this is a real good place to start uh, because it'll put you on a scriptural path towards a view other than the John Darby, you know, Schofield view that really took hold in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and really took root here in America deeply. And that's why we were all raised thinking this. But let's let's hit a couple of basics because, Donna, you know— I love to get lost in the weeds of individual passages <laughs> and ideas. I, I, I enjoy that. But I think what would suit the audience best today would be to kind of set that foundation of what, like what you just said, where, where Acts very clearly says that those are the last days. And I, I, my, my big question when I went, wait a minute, if, if they lived in the last days, because they said this multiple times, the, oh. it's, it's in Scripture, that the, the, the writers of the Bible, the first century, were the last days. I'd like to get some of the real basic things just to get people maybe um, rethinking this. First question is, last days of what? Excellent question. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, you pointed out you were raised in, in a Baptist uh, tradition. I was raised in the Church of Christ, which is all millennial. Hmm. You said you didn't expect to, to live until 30. I didn't expect to live to be 50. So, you know, right. we had some similar sentiments going on. But to that, that question that you ask is one that really honestly has to be asked by everyone. And is it the last days of time? Is it the last days of the Christian age, which are synchronous in the minds of most amillennialists and even postmillennialists? 
But here's a problem with saying it, that the last days refer to the last days of our current age, the age in which we were living, we are living now, which is the Christian age. The Bible is more than clear. It's graphic. It's explicit. It, it is emphatic. The Christian age, the age in which we're living right now, has no end. Cite the verses. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout, throughout all ages, age without end. Hello. <laughs> uh, in, uh, and I love this text. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and following. Unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is, is given. And, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Well, how do you get the increase of government? Oh, that's through evangelism. Well, wait a minute. I thought at the end of time, the end of the Christian age, there's no more evangelism because there's no more sin, et cetera, et cetera. Then how could there be evangelism without end? <laughs> yeah. And in, in Luke, Luke 1, 32 and 33, another passage that I just absolutely love, the angel was speaking to Mary, uh, telling her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. And it says, the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and of his kingdom and of his rule, there will be no end. Okay. Now, I don't, yeah, I don't know how much clearer language could be when it tells us that the rule of Christ sitting on the throne of David has no end. It's not a thousand years. <laughs> it's no end. Okay. Let me throw out the counter argument, I think, to that. Uh, which is that, you know, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So his, mm -hmm. his reign will never end, but this world has to either end or at least be consumed by fire, uh, you know, nearly destroyed so it can be restored. I think people would, uh, would agree that, that Christ's reign will never end, but the world in which we live just has to get worse before it can get better. Uh, yes, and that's a very popular. It's one I was raised with, by the way. Yeah, uh, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Second, Second Timothy chapter three, uh, six to eight. So let, let's address the issue. When the Bible says, <clears throat> "Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end." If we are going to say, well, okay, Christ's kingdom doesn't end, but the rule of Christ on earth comes to an end then how are we going to apply Isaiah 9, 6 to 9? Are we going to suggest there will be evangelism in heaven? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if anybody believes that. Furthermore, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, 25 to 28. Let me reach over and grab my Bible because uh, I would normally just quote this, but I want everyone to catch the real power of what the writer is saying. In Hebrews chapter 12, 18 and following, the inspired writer says, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it's to be stoned or thrust through with, with, a, with a spear or an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake and tremble. 
but you have come to Mount Zion. Now I got to tell you, Randy, I, I could, I, I could wax an elephant for about a week or two weeks or three weeks on, on the significance of the writer saying you've come to Mount Zion, but ever so briefly in the eschatological messianic prophecies of the old Testament, Zion is the location of the resurrection. It's the location of the kingdom. It is the location of salvation. It is everything. So when the writer of Hebrews says to first century Jews, you have come to Mount Zion, nothing could be more eschatologically significant. But I'll, I'll, I'll go on. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, church of the firstborn. Now, let me let me skip down for time's sake. See that you do not refuse him that speaks from heaven. For if they did not escape him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not the earth, but the heaven also. Now this, this saying yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made. So that the things which cannot be shaken might remain. Therefore, since we, that's, he's writing to people on earth, in time, in their bodies, since we are receiving, and he said that 2000 years ago, this is in the present participial form, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Now, we have a contrast here between what was delivered at Sinai, Mm -hmm. and he says that was being shaken. To be shaken means to be removed. And what he means with that, pretty clearly from the context is, the law of Moses with with its cultus, was being shaken, i.e. removed when he wrote, which means that cultus was passing out of validity, no more functioning, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, I think we get that. But, but we are receiving, he said, again, 2,000 year go, years ago, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, which means just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away. And he's referring to the temple as heaven and earth there, by the way. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. And he uses in the Greek a double negative, which means by no means is this possible for my word to ever go out of business. <laughs> yeah. The old covenant law, the law of Moses went out of business. Yep. Okay the law of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is to convert people to make the kingdom grow, Mm -hmm. will never end. A couple of things. Does that tie the idea of of heaven and earth passing away that that is placed in the future by so many people, does that also tie into the the authority, uh, whereas the, the law was the authority under the old covenant for heaven and earth, and that did... I almost I, I pass away seems contrary uh, to the idea of fulfilled, unless you just look at it as, as out of business, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that also a, a new heaven and earth um, being a new authority, which is Christ? Yes, which we see beautifully in the transfiguration, which happens to be one of my very favorite topics in all of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Here is Jesus on the mountain transfigured before his apostles 
Peter, James, and John, and they are just scared out of their mind, you know, but they see Moses and Elijah appear and they're talking with Jesus. Now, who are Moses and Elijah? They're, they are the ultimate representatives of the law and the prophets. And Peter, good old Peter, impetuous as he was, Lord, it's great for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. Now, some scholars believe that it was the Feast of Tabernacle period in which all this happened. I, I don't know. I'm not good enough at chronology. <laughs> but but some, some scholars believe that nonetheless. So <clears throat> here's Peter saying, Lord, it's fantastic for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. And as he speaks the words, Moses and Elijah disappear. I don't know how that happened. It's incredible to try to envision that. But here is Jesus standing alone and what's known as the Both Cole, the voice from heaven, says this, and in the Greek, it is, is what known as the emphatic mode. This is the guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the guy right here. This is my beloved son in whom I am why I'm well in whom I am well pleased. And again, it's in the emphatic mode. Him yeah. here. Yeah. The time of paying attention doesn't mean they're not valuable. Doesn't it mean that we don't learn from them still? Yeah. Time of their authority is quickly passing away because him here. Yep. So yes, it was a, a transition was coming in which Moses and the prophets as the law of God to man was to be done away. They, they would have served their purpose. Well, what was their purpose? Well, Paul explains it, Galatians 3, we were held under the law. The law was our schoolmaster to lead us to yep. Christ. Yep. Yep. After the law, uh, or excuse me, after Christ has come, after the faith, it's not simply faith, after the faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Mm -hmm. So the old law was con always considered to be transitory, temporary, mm -hmm. until that which cannot be shaken mm -hmm. would come in. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yep, that's that's the promised Messiah that the, the prophets spoke about in the Old Testament so much. And also in the Old Testament, you know, there was this phrase in, in, in Judaism, this age and the age to come. They lived in that, that pre-Christ age. And what, what I hear you reflecting is that we are in the the Christian age or the Messianic age, you know, that age that was to come. And I think a lot of the confusion that Christians get, especially when they are fed cherry picked verses, uh, you know, along an idea uh, instead of full context is, is that that future tense, which was future when it was written <laughs> is past tense to us now. And that's why I have become almost obnoxious about context when i when i start talking about scripture i'm like who was it written to when was it written um i had a question at the end of this okay yes so second peter three um where, where peter's saying you know hey god's not slack on his promises it's his will that none should perish those kinds of ideas and a lot of where scripture was written the new testament I see a period where Christ had come, he had proclaimed the fulfillment of the law, we're seeing this transition to the Christian age, but 
He had a promise to the Israelites, and that's why he wanted all the nations, which is a reference oftentimes, if not usually, to the nations of Israel, that they would hear the gospel. In other words, they would hear the Messiah has come. Mm -hmm. And so he gave them time for that word to go out before it was coming down to one or the other, accept the Messiah or face the, the promised judgment that all the prophets had foretold for centuries, which was the destruction of Jerusalem that Jesus talked about on the Mount of Olives that would happen in their generation, he said. And I get all sorts of weird gymnastics <laughs> on how this generation shall not pass away. Doesn't mean this generation shall not pass away. Uh, but I take that one pretty straightforward. I don't think Jesus was playing games with the disciples when he said that. Um, but what we see is here's this period of time for the word to go out. Jesus came first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And he kept that promise to the Jews that they would hear the gospel, that, that the Messiah had come. And if they would heed his warning, they would flee to the hills of Judea when they saw the eagles surrounding the city and escape the judgment that was coming on Jerusalem Many of them didn't. Uh, the Christians did. Um, and the Old Testament prophecies of destruction that we like to put into our future actually happened with the destruction of Jerusalem, sort of capping off the end of the old age, leaving us in this endless age of Christ. Um, am I tracking okay there? Oh, I, yeah, I think you stated that very well. Let, let me offer just a few additional thoughts here. Uh, for those who like the patristic writers, and I, I, I'm going to be very blunt here, and I'm, I mean no disrespect to the patristic writers, but sometimes, and I say this about half facetiously, uh, a lot of times when I read the patristic writers, the more I read them, the more I think they're a bunch of Fruit Loops. Uh, <laughs> be nice. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Uh, but the reason I say that is because they really, really were, many of them were so eccentric. They were, they were outright weird, and yet people point to them and say, oh, you know the patristic writers disagree with you. Well, it depends on what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the, uh, the premise that you just stated so well there a moment ago about a transitional period of time and a period of time in which the Jews were being offered the kingdom and being told, here's your kingdom. You either accept it or you perish. Yeah. It's really interesting that in Eusebius, and if anyone wants the direct quote, the direct source, uh, contact me through my website, donkpreston.com, and I'll be happy to provide the direct quote. But to paraphrase what Eusebius said, rough quote, it was absolutely necessary that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the new covenant, be proclaimed to the Jews throughout all of the world, offering them the kingdom. Mm -hmm. They did, however, reject it. Many. And, and as, a re, as a result, Jerusalem was destroyed. And at that very moment, the law of Moses passed away and the everlasting kingdom of Christ was put fully in place. Now, again, uh, You'll have to forgive me, ladies and gentlemen. That is not a verbatim quote, but it gets the gist of what Eusebius said. And we find this in an extremely powerful passage in Acts chapter 3. And I've got to tell you, Randy, when I was a young man, <laughs> and in the churches of Christ, Acts chapter 3 
is considered a, quote, troublesome text. <laughs> they don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> and I, I have been told by prominent Church of Christ ministers that when I was getting ready to debate dispensationalists, for instance, that I just better hope they wouldn't go to Acts chapter 3 or especially Romans chapter 11, 25 to 27, and just camp out there because these notable Church of Christ preachers didn't know how to deal with the text. And I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, there's something wrong. <laughs> right, right. Well, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal the man at the gate called Beautiful as they go into the temple. The crowd gathers around. Peter accuses that audience, as he had just a few days previously, of killing the Messiah. Uh, by the way, we need to kick in right here and consider that when Peter said, you have killed the Prince of Peace, he is calling to their mind the law of blood atonement. The law of blood atonement, Deuteronomy chapter 35 said, if you commit willful murder, only one thing awaits you, and that is death. Hmm. Boy, hmm. so he, I mean, he's standing here accusing that crowd, you have killed the Prince of Life. But then he says, but I know you did it in ignorance. Now here's their way out. Here's their way out because Deuteronomy 32, Numbers, excuse me, Numbers 35 gave a way out. If you accidentally kill somebody, you didn't even know you killed somebody, but you caused their death, you can flee to the city of refuge. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so guess what Hebrews chapter six does? After accusing the Jews of killing the Lord, what does he say? We have strong consolation. Those of us who have fled to Christ for refuge. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. So in Acts chapter three, on the one hand, he's calling the law of blood atonement to their minds saying, you better pay attention because you stand in danger of judgment but I'm gonna give you a way out if, if, verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. He's offering them forgiveness for killing the prince of life. But here's what he does, that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you beforehand, whom heaven must receive until the restoration of all things which is spoken by the prophets all the prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said <clears throat> to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. Now watch this, this, this had to hit them right between the eyes. And we need to see it in its context. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Now the Greek here is graphic. Peter is telling his audience, the Lord promised to raise up a prophet like Moses. Guess who that is? That's Jesus mm -hmm. that you crucified. Guess what else Yahweh said? If you do not submit to him, you will be utterly destroyed. The Greek is very powerful here. Yeah. I mean, it's like <laughs> wiped out. Yeah. yeah, desolation. And notice from among, and it's literally out from among the people. 
they would be excised. They would be cut off. They would no longer be the people. Yep, yep. So the true Jews in the mind of Yahweh, in the mind of Moses, in the mind of Peter, the true, the truly obedient to the law, those who are truly obedient to the law of Moses would be those who followed Jesus, whom they had killed, but they did it ignorantly. Therefore, repent. Yeah. Run so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. message that they, you know, we are so, and look, I speak for myself here. <laughs> I was raised in an environment because in the churches of Christ, we were taught God was through with Israel at the cross. God was through with the Old Testament at the cross. Uh, we don't have paid attention to it. And when I was sitting in my office years and years ago, years ago, and I read passages just like this, written after the cross, written after the day of Pentecost, calling on Israel to obey the Old Testament in obeying Jesus. Mm. <laughs> <Right>. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. I mean, this was literally world changing for me. And I went from there to see how Peter said, now notice what he said, all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow after as many as follow spoke of these days. He didn't say, now folks, I want yeah. you to know, I want you to know that I'm talking about 2000 years away. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. All of the prophets spoke of these days, yeah. the days that we're living. How yeah. do I know that's true? Well, because he just told him a couple of days previous, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, when you, when you really look at the scripture in the context and, and, in the way you are, it it starts to kind of seem obvious, which which makes it puzzling to me um, why so many people today believe that you know the last days are coming, uh, or they and they think of the last days as being the destruction of the earth, which is really just not in the scripture, um, right. and it leads to some bad ideas. And I want to I want to show people your book real quick. This is the last days identified for anybody that's like, okay, what is going on here? <laughs> this is a good place to start. You can pick it up at Don's website, donkpreston.com. There are other good books. I'm not here just trying to say one of Don's books. I just think it will help you more than anything uh, and, and, and point you in the right direction. Um, the website looks like this, by the way, uh, so you'll know you're in the right place. There's his handsome face uh, with the, the name right there. So that's where you can get it. But here's here's why I think this is important, because a lot of this, we can, uh, uh, there's so many things. I mean, we could do this for hours. And then, ah, um, I, I just want to get back to the relevance of this today, because you guys watching, you know, you can tell Don loves Scripture, and that's a, obviously a good thing. Uh, and he understands Scripture. Um, and my concern is that Christians do a couple of things. One, they, they do like you warned about. They, they get these ideas and, and sort of create self-fulfilling prophecies that are not of God. Um, and, and the other is, is what I experienced personally. I didn't even know you and others like you existed. I was just reading Revelation, and I kind of went, wait a minute. This doesn't read like I was taught that it reads, you know. Um, and I thought, what is going on here? And it started me down the path, which led me to a lot of your materials. But 
the problem was that I had this real tendency to see people as targets of God's judgment. God knows I saw Muslims this way, you know. I, I saw even Vladimir Putin this way. Oh, well, he's going to get his judgment, you know, and I can't wait. The problem is that is that's not consistent with, with Christ, who actually wants Vladimir Putin to come to Christ and be saved, to run to that refuge, uh, which is hard for us because what we see him doing right now is pure evil. I started seeing everybody who didn't know Christ as being a target of his mercy. Therefore, my job was to, I don't know, love your enemies <laughs> you know, um, and and to want to share Christ with him and to pray for our enemies, to pray for Putin. Or if you're conservative, pray for Biden in his leadership role right now. It changed my paradigm. And frankly, I think it lined it up with the heart of Christ more. I That's what I seek anyway. I'm not saying I'm any kind of Christ figure. Don't go that road. What do you see as the danger of misunderstanding Bible prophecy uh, misunderstanding eschatology, misunderstanding all these little details that you're going through and, and showing people, I believe, the, the, the right way. Um, what, what, are we, what are we risking if, if we continue down this idea that, oh, well, yeah, maybe bad, but that's God's will for Russia to invade Ukraine, for Israel to be destroyed again. Uh, you know, all these ideas that I think are not helpful. My goodness, that opens up a vista of about 40 weeks of discussion. Here. I know. I know. <laughs> okay, uh, let, let's look upon this as a, a very, very pragmatic thing. I believe that far too many Christians have decided to be social hermits, to withdraw from society. The world's got to get worse. We can't help it, as we've already gone over previously. Uh, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Uh, it's in God's plan. The world's got to get worse so that Jesus can come and straighten it all out. Well, that really, honestly, while I understand where that doctrine comes from, when closely analyzed, it wasn't the scriptural view uh, at all. But secondly, I, I believe, and I'm not saying here that Christians ought to be, uh, as I know some people who are, <laughs> and I'm not going to try to prevent them, but I'm not saying that the Lord wants us to be standing on the street corner saying the end is not there. Right. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I believe that we can take venues such as this and any other venue that we can find to talk to our friends, talk to our neighbors and let them know, look, I understand your concern. I understand your fear, but Randy, I, I have to tell you, I am receiving more more emails, more private messages right now than in my entire life. Just before coming on air, I had a gentleman contact me privately and say, uh, and his post was in, in response to a guy who had posted on Facebook saying, what good do debates do? Who has ever changed as a result of debate? Uh, Nobody ever changed. Yeah. Well, I can, <laughs> I can tell you this, I get emails quite frequently. Right from people who told me or who tell me, I attended your debate here or there or whatever, and it blew me away. I'm now a full preterist. Well, I shared some of those. Well, I didn't know what the response would be. All of a sudden, a woman posts and says, Don, you're exactly right. It was your debating that caused me to become a full preterist. Another guy posted, um, 
I don't know how to draw that up or I'd share the quote with you uh, verbatim, but he said, I was a hardcore dispensationalist. I, I attended a debate that you had in Florida in 2003, which by the way, was a public formal debate with Thomas Ice and Mark Hitchcock. And he said, I came away from there completely, totally blown away with what you presented mm -hmm. in that debate. I am now a dedicated and joyous full preterist. So here, what I'm saying is I hear from people all the time who have been living in fear. Yeah. Some of the most outstanding are people that have contacted me and said, I, I was involved with Harold camping. Oh, I borrowed money to send to him. And he's, and this one individual told me I am now destitute. Mm. I, I, I don't have a dime to my name. I'm barely getting by all because of this. And he said, then I discovered your ministry. Mm -hmm. I discovered your books. And on my website, you know, people ask me all the time about free materialists. And I tell them, go to my website, donkpreston.com. There are literally thousands of articles right. there, not to mention free audios and audio videos mm -hmm. on YouTube. I produce videos on YouTube five days a week, totally free, no charge. I mean, if someone feels led to contribute to our ministry, believe me, it would be helpful. Sure, and they should, <laughs> and they should yeah. But, you know, it's there for free. Right. And again, I have to tell you, Randy, that the responses and the testimonials from people that I am receiving right now that have been liberated from the fear, from the paralyzation. Right. They, they've been paralyzed right. in society. You know, we, we're living in very treacherous times. I don't believe we're living in times foretold by scripture at all, but we're living in treacherous times in which there are people who literally hate America. Mm. They hate everything about America. And by the way, they are in our institutions of higher learning <laughs> and, and they're permeating our society. Yeah. And, it, and if Christians don't begin very actively very militantly, I don't mean viciously, and I don't mean violently by any stretch of the imagination. Right. I don't approve of violence. It's not proper and right and biblical, but we better start speaking up or we will not have an America and we won't even have free speech as we see it right now. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you're right on that. And I don't think that's God's will. <laughs> I don't either, yeah. I agree. Right, okay, I have to, before I let you go, and, and this, really should be another conversation for another day and if if i can get you back on again soon and and i mean soon not in a daniel sense but more in a revelation <laughs> sense okay <laughs> so um because you mentioned a term that some people are going now wait what is that full preterist yes uh preter preterist just means past yes just for you guys watching but i, I have some questions because people have said are you, are you now a full preterist and i'm like i i don't know <laughs> i'm just ignorant as to all the things i got a few things i don't want to get long-winded about but i know i'm going to leave people hanging maybe this is just a good teaser for another interview um yeah full preterism do you believe in a rapture no okay and I'm is that you. short enough yeah, yeah no no <laughs> and, and and i know it doesn't answer all the questions um no it doesn't what about a second coming where jesus christ returns bodily to the earth to to reign on earth correct number one the only passage that uses the term second appearing is Hebrews chapter nine and verse 28. To those who eagerly look for him, and I would point out that the Greek there is apekdekomai, which means eager 
expectant longing and, and looking for. So it's not something that people 2000 years ago were leaning back in their easy chairs going, eh, it'll happen one of these days. It's something they 2000 years ago expected uh, to see. And then Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 37. Now the writer says, and again, and I keep pointing out these little tidbits of, of, of the Greek because they're, they're critical to understand. Sure. In a very, very little while, the Greek is hoson, hoson, mikron. Hmm. Hoson means how, how little. Hmm. And so the translations that render it a little more accurately render it in a very, very little while. The one who's coming, well, who's the one that, he, that he's just talked about coming? It's Christ mm -hmm. in his second appearing. Mm -hmm. So in a very, very little while, the one who's coming will come and will not tarry. And, and I'm sorry, uh, 2,000 years is a pretty good tarry. Oh, you know, but a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. That's what, yeah. that's what you could get. <laughs> but so when did Christ reappear? Okay. When we understand how Christ was to appear, Matthew 16, 27 and 28, the Son of Man will come in the glory of the Father. Uh, Randy, I wrote a book years ago, Like Father, Like Son on Clouds of Glory. And by the way, since we mentioned my books and my website, uh, anyone listening and watching this program, if you order a book, if you order, for instance, like Father, Like Son on Clouds of Glory or The Last Days Identified, you send me a little note that says, hey, I watched you on Randy's show. That's all you have to do. I'll refund your shipping. That'll save you five bucks. Okay. So just take advantage of that. What did Jesus mean when he said the Son of Man will come in the glory of the Father. You know how some passages that you've read about a gazillion times and you read them another time and they reach up and go, bam, 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 bam. Hello, right. pay attention to me. Right. <laughs> yeah, that hit me one day years ago and I thought, wait a minute. What does in the glory of the Father mean? So I began gra grabbing my critical commentaries and I've got, commentators here and there and <laughs> in there and over there. <laughs> uh, what came to, a to be a massive surprise to me was that scholars are pretty well agreed that what Jesus meant was the Son of Man is going to come in the same way that the Father had come. And that's one of those hit me with a brick up beside the head moments because it's like, okay, the Father had never, ever, ever come out of heaven, literally, visibly, bodily. Right. How had the Father always, invariably, how had the Father come? Cloud. Yeah. He wrote on the cloud, Psalms yeah. 104. Yeah. And in, for instance, Isaiah chapter 19, behold, Yahweh rides into Egypt on a swift cloud, yeah. and the Nile shall be dried up, all the fish uh, shall die, the birds shall fall from the sky, and you go, oh, it's the end of the world. Well, no, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> chapter 20, which in the Hebrew, there's certain no chapter division. But in chapter 20, verse 1, it tells us that Sargon, the king of the Assyrians, was God's chosen vessel to destroy Egypt. Mm -hmm. To put that as simply as I know how, 
when, when Yahweh decided to use the Assyrians to destroy Egypt, by the way, we know they did it, mm-hmm. okay? When God in his sovereignty brought the Assyrians to destroy Egypt, it was said that he came on the clouds. Mm. Now, in our good old Western, Occidental, Grecian way of thinking, we like to say, well, the Bible says what it means, it means what it says. <laughs> the problem there is we're not Hebra- Hebraic in our way of thinking. Right. The Hebrews thought in metaphor, in poetry, yeah. in word pictures, in mental images, and to illustrate this even more, in Isaiah chapter 5, 10 and following, the Lord speaking about how he was going to use the Assyrians to accomplish his purposes. Now, his purposes were to judge Egypt and a whole lot of other nations, by the way, as well as the 10 northern tribes. And he said, O Assyrian, the rod in my hand. What? The Assyrians were the rod in God's hand? Mm. Well, that's pretty clearly imagery because the Assyrians were living, breathing human beings. But he says, it is not in their mind to do as I say. It is in their mind to trample down, to tromp down, to destroy the nations, trample them into into the mud, but they are my rod and the staff of my anger. Now, much later, after the Babylonians destroyed the Assyrians in 612 BC, you have the Lord predicting that Nebuchadnezzar was now the man in whom he put his sword, which, by the way, caused Adolf Hitler to go looking for a literal physical sword. Oh, yeah. And you're going, no, 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 no. (laughs) You're missing the point. But that's what Adolf Hitler did. He took the language literally. And yet here here is Yahweh. This time around, it's the Babylonians that are going to go whip the Egyptians. And they did. And it was the Babylonians who were going to come against Jerusalem and the two southern tribes after after the Assyrians had carried away the 10 northern tribes in 721 BC. And notice what, notice how Yahweh described that. Behold, the Lord comes out of his place in heaven. He treads upon the mountains and the earth melts beneath his feet. Oh my goodness. Once again, oh, oh, right, right. end of time. <laughs> right, no, right. no, because he specifically says all of this for the sins of Samaria. Hmm. I'm going to bring the Assyrians on the 10 northern tribes for their sins. Because remember, he had already said, hey, the Assyrians are my rod. I'm going to use them to just whoop up, (laughs) to use modern terminology, on all these other nations. And then, oh, by the way, guess what? When I'm through with the Assyrians, I'm going to whip them too. Yeah, right. And I'm going to use the Babylonians to do that. Okay, so. So, uh, let me draw. Glory, judgment. Oh, yeah. So Christ coming on the clouds, if that's already happened, would that be 70 AD at Jerusalem? Yes, it was. Because Jesus, and another passage here, very critical, John chapter 5, 23 and following, from henceforth the Father judges no one, 
but has committed all judgment to the son so that all men might honor the son as they honor the father. The son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. Well, guess what? The son had seen the father come in judgment against Egypt, uh, against Pathos, against Cush, uh, you know, you name it about uh, against all of these nations by using this nation over here to come over here and destroy it because of their sin. And now here's Jesus speaking of the Jews. And, and by the way, here, Randy, this is so important. And it's one of, it's one of the most overlooked tenets in modern eschatology. In both the Old Testament and the New, New Yahweh referred to Israel as becoming his enemy. Mm. He said it in Micah. He said it in the book of Lamentations. Mm -hmm. In the book of Lamentations, after the fall of Jerusalem, here's Jeremiah weeping and crying and saying, our people set themselves against Yahweh as his enemy. Well, what happens to the enemies of God for crying out loud? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is not a happy place to be. Right. And so over and over, and by the way, in Philippians chapter three, where Paul sets old covenant Israel in contrast with new covenant Israel and says, we are the circumcision who do not worship God according to the flesh, but after the spirit. And he continues his contrast between the old covenant and the new. And he says, speaking of old covenant Israel, and he says, these worship the belly. And he says, I tell you now, even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross. Hmm. So here is this thread, Old Testament into the new, of how old covenant Israel, by rejecting Jesus, rejecting the gospel, had set themselves up, and N.T. Wright expresses it like this, in, in commenting on Matthew 16, 27 and 28, by the way, he says the very language that the old covenant prophets had used to speak of impending judgment of the pagan nations at the hands of Yahweh. Now, Jesus in a radical reversal is, speak, is using that language to speak of the impending judgment of Jerusalem right. and her leaders who have become in the same place as the pagan nations, i.e. the enemy of God. So when we see how Yahweh came in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, by utilizing one nation to judge another, then we see in the New Testament where over and over again, the finger is pointed at Old Covenant Israel as being responsible for the death of Jesus, being responsible for rejecting the gospel, yeah. being being responsible for filling up the measure of their sin, guess what? The Lord was going to bring the Romans as the rod of his mm-hmm. anger. Mm-hmm. And he was going to put his sword into the hands of the Romans. Even Titus, after the destruction of Jerusalem, was standing amid the rubble, looking at the fortifications, And Titus, the Roman general, said, it must be that this people had sinned against their God. Hmm. No army in the world, Titus said, 
could have conquered this city unless their God abandoned them. Mm. That's powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. So in, in that we see what we have created. We have found that tooth and built a dinosaur called the second coming <laughs> of Christ and put it in the future, right? Now, I do want to make sure for clarification purposes, when you're talking about the Jews in Israel, you're talking about first century fulfillment. You, this is, uh, I am assuming uh, that there is no uh, anti-Semitic undertones to this today. I am so glad you brought that up because it's so interesting and it's sad that people say, oh, well, you must be anti-Semitic. Well, wait a minute. I'm not the one that predicted the, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. It was Jesus, our Lord, who said that. Yeah. It was Paul who said that. It was James who said that. It was John who said that. I do not believe for one moment, not even a nanosecond, to use that old terminology, that the Jews are any, under any kind of a curse today. I believe they stand in the same position as anyone in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, yeah. in the in need of the mercy of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 that's your that's your desire, that's your goal, that's your message. True. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it is not anti-Semitic in any shape, form, or fashion. And, and I'll share this with you. I, I was actually in a conversation with a Jewish individual about the new heaven and new earth. And they were saying, well, it's when this earth is destroyed. Well, I took it back to Isaiah 65 and <laughs> Isaiah 66, which undeniably, clearly, and explicitly puts the new heaven and new earth in the context in which the Yahweh said to old covenant Israel, the Lord God will slay you. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 19, he says, for behold, I create new heaven and new earth. Yeah. And this Jewish gentleman just went ballistic on me <laughs> And he said, that's not in the Bible. You're perverting the scripture. And I said, well, if you have your Bible text in front of you, why don't you read it? Yeah. And he literally left the discussion. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that happens sometimes. All right. Last couple yeah. of questions on the full preterism thing. Are full preterists cessationists? Uh, yes, I do believe that the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit were for a were a one generational period of time. I believe that Daniel nine is in support of that. I believe that that Micah chapter seven, verse fifteen. Micah seven is a fantastic messianic prophecy, and speaking of the time of the coming of the Messiah, it says, "As it as according to the days of the coming out from the land of Egypt, so I will show wonders in the land." God showed miracles to Israel for 40 years in the wilderness wandering. Mm -hmm. And Joshua chapter 5, 12 and following says, in the day that they entered into the land, the manna stopped. Now, that didn't mean that God, that God stopped being with them. Let's, let's be very, mm -hmm. very clear on that. Because the follow-up question that I get from an awful lot of people, well, if you don't believe in miracles today, then why do you pray? Well, it's because God answers prayer. That's why. <laughs> I mean, to put it to put it very, very simply, uh, my wife and I have been discussing this 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 very week because we've had some really bad financial news this week. Certainly not going to get into that, but there have been many times in our own life in which we did not know what way to turn. We did not know what was going to happen. We did not know what we could do. Our philosophy is we don't know where the train's going. We're just along for the ride, and God's the engineer. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just our philosophy. 
We've spent a lot of time in prayer. Things have happened and doors have opened that no one, certainly not us, would have expected. Right. It was certainly welcome. It was certainly desirable. It was certainly wonderful. Right. But I think we have to be very careful in defining the term miracle. Okay. That's one of the keys to this whole thing. Okay. Right. So point number one, I believe God is in control. I believe that God is operating. I believe that God answers prayer. I just don't believe in the continuance of the charismatic gifts today. That may disqualify me from being a full preterist because I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure about that one. Um, <laughs> I understand that, and no no animosity whatsoever. I've got lots of I've got lots of friends that that hold that view. Very good. Okay, then, uh, and I can still grow and still learn. I'm just I'm I'm interested. I just I go. Mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, last thing uh, I want to ask from just the full preterist standpoint is: Is there anything in the Bible? prophetically that you view as not yet fulfilled? And if so, what? I don't believe that there's a specific prophecy that tells us event X is going to happen. Okay. I think what we have is the ongoing eternal result of fulfillment. And that's a that's a very important line of distinction. Okay. For instance, that prophecy, unto us a child is given. Well, that, that was a one-time event. We're not still looking for a child to be born. Sure. But as a result of the fulfillment of the establishment of the kingdom, which has no end, guess what? That means that eternal life is ongoing for us. And Jesus said, if a man believes in me and keeps my commandments, he will never die. Well, you know, I'm just really pretty certain, 115% certain, I'm going to die physically. Mm-hmm. But I have 2,000% confidence mm-hmm. in the promises of Jesus that my physical death is not the end. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is my doorway into something that I can't even yet begin to fathom. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I... I had a sister-in-law pass away suddenly just a few years ago, and my brother asked me to preach her funeral. Mm-hmm. She was an, an incredibly dedicated Christian woman, and I, I didn't know if I could preach that funeral, to be honest about it. I really didn't. But I went through, and I chose as my text, Philippians chapter 1, 19 to 21, <clears throat> where Paul said, writing to the Philippian church that he established, he loved them dearly. And he said, I'm torn between two. I have a desire to depart and be with Jesus, be with Christ, which is far better, or to remain with you, which is better for you. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul loved human relations. Let's make no mistake about it. He loved Titus. He loved Timothy. I suspect personally that Paul was married can't prove that, but I suspect that he was. Is if a, he was. Is that a thorn in the flesh? Oh, uh, well, no comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I beg yeah. your forgiveness to you guys watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it is an amazing statement that Paul knew that for him to stay alive and to minister to the church at Philippi and throughout the rest of the Roman Empire, he knew that was better for them yeah. and he loved them. Yeah. He didn't want to leave that. Yeah. But he also knew that there was something. Yeah. So far better, even than these 
wonderful, loving relationships that we have on earth, yeah. there's something even, quote, far, not better, yeah. far yeah. better. Yep. And I tell you, I, um, there was not a dry eye in the audience when sure. I preached that, including my own, I might add. <laughs> sure. sure. And, you know, and I think it's important that that, that is one of those foundational truths that, that we all agree on, whether we have these, you know, disagreements or, you know, on, on these other issues. Uh, I recognize that, as Texoma says, that not all these viewpoints are monolithic. There are details that we... We like to discuss, and I think when we do it in love, it's healthy and fun sometimes. I, I love, yeah. man, I love getting into the nitty-gritty with you. Um, but, you know, the foundational things, Christ, uh, Messiah, uh, the the way to God, the way to eternal life, the only path, the promise of, of eternal life, uh, those are the core things, and uh, we certainly absolutely agree on, on those things. And, and even just the way we should treat each other with the love of Christ. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, uh, I'm on Facebook and YouTube every day and there, there's some different people on there who literally stalk me I know, and just attack me mercilessly. And someone posted to me just the other day, they said, Don, how do you treat these people with such patience? Hmm. And <laughs> uh, I didn't tell them that there are times when I really, really, really want to cut loose. Oh yeah. I hear you. <laughs> I'm right there with you. But I said, you know, over the years, I have developed a really, really thick skin. And number two, it's been my experience many, many times that people who started out by criticizing me vehemently are now firm proponents and advocates of the fulfilled view. Yeah, sure. So when I see even a glimmer of humility, when I see just a sliver of integrity and a willingness to listen, to think, then I can put up with an awful lot of stuff. <laughs> now I may, I may call them down and I say, look, let's have a brotherly conversation. Let's be courteous. Let's be respectful. You start calling me names. Right. You may disappear. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's yeah. I'm, I'm all for uh, disagreeing and even attacking ideas at times. Uh, especially, you know, we're, we're called to stand up against any idea that stands, it puts itself in opposition to God, but not yeah. people. We should always right. be looking for the, for redemption of people, even the worst. And that's hard. I, I get that. I mean, oh, I say hard. it, but doing yeah. it's a lot harder. So I appreciate that. attitude, <laughs> man. And I appreciate you coming on and, and getting into the detail and, and letting me ask the questions. It's, this is good. And I hope people watching will follow up if they're interested, uh, you know, on your website, other resources, um, you know, the, the YouTube stuff that you're doing because you're putting it out there, man. And, and I'm hoping that more and more people are, are at least listening just to stretch their own minds and to challenge maybe some things yeah. they've held to, to say, is that really scriptural? Is that, cause we all need to right. get closer to, to Christ and therefore closer to truth. So thank you for that. Thank you, Randy. And thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. And uh, just anytime you want to have me back on, feel free to invite. I'll be glad to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you on the same time I invite Robert Morris on. We'll have a little a little discussion about gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> and I love that you're game for it. And I appreciate you guys watching. I know I've gone long, but I don't care. I, I, well, actually, it's because I do care. 
I, I think this is yes. an important thing to discuss. Uh, don't get caught up in the crazy right now with world events. Get into the scripture, and if you have questions, Don can answer a lot of them for you. <laughs> uh, even if you don't disagree, if you don't agree with him on everything, that's okay. Amen. Uh, it, it's good yeah. to do so. Come back. Uh, we've got more all this week. And, man, I've got just, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show while I was waiting on Don, just got back from uh, NRB Convention, Religious Broadcasters, and whoo, I met some great guests out there that we are starting to book. And so it's just going to be better and better. We're going to encourage you, inspire you, hopefully inform you a bit, and we'll have a little fun along the way. So we'll see you next time here on Life Today Live. Awesome. God so loved the world. In spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sins, in spite of our failures, God says, I love you. I love you. I love you.